And did you know that this podcast is an independent production? That's right. The Eric Norcross podcast is an indie podcast. And because of that, we depend on listeners like you to help support the show. The best way to become a supporter is to become a patron. Patreon is a membership platform that allows creators to develop a more sustainable source of financial support for their projects. My Patreon supports this podcast. If you find this podcast worthwhile, please consider becoming a patron by heading over to the Patreon link in the description. That's patreon.com slash Eric Norcross. Again, patreon.com slash Eric Norcross, and the link will be in the description. Thank you, and on with the show. All right, I have one more announcement before I go into the episode. I know these can be super annoying, but this is not a paid advertisement. This is actually about one of my projects. I made a feature film called Fractals, and guess what? It is now available for streaming. Just visit my website, ericnorcross.com. Look for the movie Fractals, and there will be a list of platforms where you can stream it. Thanks. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast and to my YouTube channel. If you're watching this on YouTube, I have a very special episode. And I know I say that a lot because really most of my interviews I do are pretty special. But this one is super special for a lot of reasons. My guest today is my high school teacher or one of my many high school teachers. But this one had a lot of influence on the direction of my life. This is Mr. Bean or David Bean, as he has asked to be called. And um, Mr. Bean, David Bean, Dave, <laughs> he is the instructor at Portland Arts and Technology High School, and he ran the video production program my senior year of high school. Back then, the program was called the Video Technology and Multimedia at Portland Arts and Technology High School, it is now referred to as the New Media Program. And it has come a long way in the more than 20 years since I've been there. Like a long way. I haven't been there since I graduated in 2000, and then I only visited once when I was looking to borrow a light kit for a short film that I made in 2002. So in the winter or spring of 2002, probably the winter of 02, I went out there to borrow a light kit and that was it. I haven't seen him since because when I returned the kit, I did it through a student who was going through that program, uh, a, a collaborator of mine. And I just gave the light kit to the student. I said, here, return this to the class and need it. <laughs> and so that, that that's the last time I saw Mr. Bean in person. And we've con been in contact off and on over the years, always through social media. And, of course, I've been absent through social media intermittently just because I feel like social media and me do not get along. And so what happened, though, is at some point over the pandemic, I had learned about this ghost hunting thing that Mr. Bean had been involved in at Portland High School. 
in Portland, Maine, which is also one of my former schools. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's a really old school. It's probably really haunted. <laughs> and so that's a great place to do a ghost hunt. What happened? And it was this really interesting story about how they actually got results. And then the administrators shut them down because of it. And I'm just like, oh, wow, that's we should do an episode about that because Halloween is coming up. It's spooky, but it also will allow me an episode to be able to catch up with Mr. Bean, one of my favorite teachers from back in the day. And uh, it was great fun. I got to, I went all the way back to Portland, Maine. I mean, from New York, I'm seeing all the way back, like I'm going around the world. It's the, technically it's the same region. It's the Northeast, but it is like 350 miles away. Like it's, it's a long drive. It took me six hours to drive up there and to find a place to stay and all that. But I, I went back to my hometown. I went back to my old high school, Portland Arts and Technology High School or Paths as it's referred to. And, um, we got to catch up. I got to see what he's done with the program. He's done some amazing things with the program. I mean, their equipment is on par with what I've seen from production companies here in New York. When I walked into the classroom, it was a converted public access TV station. And so it really felt like I was in a post-production house, like the thousands of post-production houses I've been to in New York and L.A. That's exactly what it felt like. And I honestly, like, I'm really jealous of the high school students who get to participate in that class now because they have it made. I mean, they have jibs and booms and they got a professional just camera set up. They've got black magics. I mean, when I was in that in that program, we were shooting on SVHS cameras, but we weren't even shooting on the high-end SVHS systems. We were just we had our our cameras programmed for regular VHS recording so that we could watch it at home. Like <laughs> it, it was really low end. I think our our editing program was called New Media uh, Media 100, the Media 100 Suite, and it was an Apple-based nonlinear system. It was like an early, very rudimentary version of what you would think of when you think of a nonlinear editing system today. Uh, and and rudimentary is very accurate. It's a term that my friend Brandon used to describe it in a recent uh talk that he did for one of our films and it's just like I'm going there now I'm like I've been to colleges that don't have this level of setup like this is more advanced than some well-funded colleges that I visited I worked in the audio visual office at Sarah Lawrence a very wealthy and prestigious college and their setup paled in comparison to what I saw at this public high school so I'm just like Mr. Bean has done everything, not only right, but he went above and beyond to really build this program out. I, I, I am so impressed with where that program has, has gone. And honestly, like, if you're looking to get it, if you're from, like, the southern main area and you want to get into film and video production, look into the video program at Paths. It's called New Media. Portland Arts and Technology High School It is a vocational school that has sort of arrangements with many high schools in the area so you don't necessarily have to be in portland to to take classes there i think they take students from all over the area in different school districts in different towns i remember when i was in the program we had students from wyndham scarborough yarmouth so if you're in that area check out that program if you want to get into the arts because 
that that school changed my life. That program changed my life. The people there changed my life. Mr. Bean changed my life. And uh, I was so happy to reconnect with him for this episode. And so I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to let you wait any longer. We're just going to go right into the interview. Remember, this is an on-location interview. So if you're watching on YouTube, there's no two-camera back and forth. I basically just set up a tabletop camera, two tabletop microphones, and I just had the camera on Mr. Bean the whole time. So you won't see me if you're watching this in video form. However, it doesn't really matter because everything about this podcast is what Mr. Bean has to say. And it's truly spooky. It's truly enlightening. And when you get to the part about the gift, oh, it's going to blow your mind. This is the perfect episode for this season. And please enjoy. I'll see you on the other end. I am here at Portland Arts and Technology High School with Mr. Bean. You can call me Dave, by the way. It's all good. You've heard that right. I knew right. you were going to say that. And so on the drive here, because it's like a six-hour drive, I was thinking, what is my rationale? I can't stop calling you Mr. Bean. And so I started thinking about that movie, Mr. Holland's Opus, where I don't know if you've seen it. I, I have, a long time ago. Yeah, he's teaching this red-haired girl how to play one of those instruments that's like a, a windward, in, a, 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 a flute or something. And... Later in the movie, at the very end, she comes back as an adult, and it turns out she's the governor of their state. She'd become the governor, yet she still called him Mr. Holland. Yeah. I think that's just, it's just the way it is. Well, and that's okay. I respect <laughs> that, and I'm, and I'm honored, honestly. So it's all good. It's <laughs> yeah. all good. You're Mr. Bean. <laughs> um, You're not the first person to tell me that, so it's all yeah. good. So... For those of you who don't know this school, this is Portland Arts and Technology High School. Mr. Bean was one of my teachers way back in 1999 through 2000. Yeah, my uh, first year teaching here. Yep. And he runs the video production program, which is now the new media program. And I credit this program, actually, of putting me on the path that I am on now. And I, I've talked about it on this podcast a lot about how if I hadn't found film and video, I probably would be burning down houses right now. <laughs> and that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I'm glad you found it. And yeah. I've had students say that, but I, I believe the drive is in you. And I believe it's in all the students come through here. What I do is I provide the tools and a little background knowledge on What's the best way to use it, the professional way to move forward? And you guys take it and run. So um, I would turn that around and say I give you guys all the credit, and you in particular, because you've done really well. And I've enjoyed watching your career over the last, oh, my God, 20-plus years. So, <clears throat> you know, it's all good in the end, my friend, all good in the end. Yeah, well, I remember when we gradu I graduated here and I had gotten into the Vancouver Film School and you actually said the phrase, you're my first success story. Yep. And that kind of shit just makes me want to keep doing it. Well, and you were, and still yeah. are. I mean, I, I've talked about you on numerous occasions over the past 20 years, and just recently um, I was talking about how you were still down there and still making a living and doing well. So Yeah, and that's all you can do. Uh, it's, yeah. And, and the key was always just to find a way to keep doing it. Yeah. It's not, it's not an easy profession it's really rewarding it's a lot of fun but it's also a lot of work and it takes it takes drive and dedication to be good at and stay with it 
So, and that's what marks my students who do or are successful. I have a, a number who don't. They go into different things. But um, for those of you who do it, you get the tenacity, drive, and desire, and the passion. And that's the big one. If you have passion, you're going to be all right. That's yeah. the key. And you always had that. There was never a doubt in my mind. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I felt like it was an unhealthy obsession to a certain extent. But I also think that is part of it. Like, growing up on the island just off the coast here, our options were you could be a carpenter. wasn't going to happen. I'd lose a hand in, like, two seconds. <laughs> you could be a fisherman, which wasn't going to happen because I'm allergic to selfish, and I have motion sickness. Oh, so double whammy. The only other option was really to do something that kept me away from trouble and uh, that, that ended up just being the arts. Well, that, and, and you were, I mean, you have a heck of an imagination, still do, <laughs> and, you know, you combine that with passion and a, and a means to utilize your, your storytelling ability, give you the tools, and that's what this program did, I think, more than anything else, we gave you the tools and the opportunity, and, and you flew with it, and, you know, my... I don't know how much you remember the first year. My first year was a very tough year. I had some really tough kids to deal with. Um, and it was you and a few others in your class um, who kept me there. You know, I, I tell the story. My first day of teaching, I came home, and I had a huge 32-ounce 7-Eleven mug. And I don't drink very much. But I got home, threw some ice in one of those, and made the biggest white Russian you have ever seen. Um, I went and sat in my recliner and kicked up the feet and took a really long drink. And my wife just sat there watching me because this was totally weird behavior for me. And she looked at me and she goes, what in the hell happened? I said, I just think my job at Channel 6 is still there. And she goes, no, you got to give it a week. you got to give it a week. And I did. And because of you and a few others in your class, I stuck with it. And to this day, I've never looked back. I knew I did the right thing, but it was hard. Yeah. And if I hadn't had you... And there were a couple of Josh and Steve, a couple of them in your in class, and a few in the other afternoon session. I'd be, I still would have been broadcast TV. But well, I feel like I don't know how it is now or how the students mat- matriculate here now. But I, I remember back then, I first ended up in Mr. Nichols' graphic arts class, where um, the Mid- King Middle School was basically trying to drive people there if they didn't think they'd succeed academically. Yeah, and. Um, it almost felt like a dumping ground for just special ed students, which I was. And, um, yeah, I think that's how I ended up here. But I ended up, st- I ended up after I finished Mr. Nichols' class, I wasn't going to come back. Yeah. I'm like, that's a big commute. A lot of people don't seem to be taking graphic art seriously. I don't know what else I would do there. And so they just signed me, Portland High School signed me up for criminal justice, which is what they do when they don't know what to do with do, you. Yep. And my mother flipped the lid. Like, for all her faults, like, she loves fighting with administrators. Yeah. She's the parent that you want <laughs> on your side in this case. And so she called up the school, and she pulled me out of criminal justice for some random reason. I don't know why they signed me that. And she's like, this new video technology course, he already talked about how he had made friends with people there. Why don't, why, does it, why don't you just sign him up for that and we'll make sure he's on the bus? And so I almost had nothing to do with it. Wow. Um, I just remember, like, I had become friends with Greg Seymour, who was yep. in the first class there. Yep. I remember that name. And, and, not, and not badly either, by the way. Um, this, yeah. There were a lot of kids who came here who... We're kind of foundering, but when they get here and they see what they can do, and 
and it's just not just me. This is something that happens here at Paz. Kids find their they find their niche and they take yeah. off with it. And that happened with you and a few others. And um, it's changed a lot too because I don't I don't disagree. Back then we could we were a dumping ground for a lot of schools for a lot of reasons. But nowadays, now we don't call ourselves vocational centers because of the negativity assigned with it. We're career and technical education centers. Um, and we're starting to get the recognition we deserve for all the good stuff that we do. And I don't hear that if you, I don't, I used to hear on a regular basis, if you go to paths, you won't go to college. Um, and nowadays, college isn't being pushed as hard. But now we don't hear that, you know, because I've had kids go on. I've had, you went to, um, I went to so I went to Paths. Yeah, and then then the Vancouver Film Vancouver. School. Vancouver, I was Alberta, but I knew was that just wasn't a right. Technical program, but that's yeah. a, and then in my mid thirties, I enrolled at SUNY. Yep, got a BA. Yep, and then went to Sarah Lawrence and got an MFA. So, yep. I think the, I think Paths put me on that path. Actually, yeah, <laughs> and and I I'm, I won't lie, I'm a little proud to be able to say that I was a part of that. So it makes me feel good. Um, but we're seeing we're seeing a different attitude, and we're serving a lot more people now. And I really, it's part of it that I really enjoy. Um, yeah, I just you know I love my job. Let's just leave it at that. I love yeah. being a teacher, so it's good. Well, I have really fond memories of being your student, of being here. Between splitting my time here in Portland High School, I did everything I could to always be here. So sometimes I would, oops, I missed the bus. I guess I have to stay here, and I would get in trouble from Portland High School administrators for doing that. Yeah. And one of the things too that I do is because Portland Arts and Technology High School is such a dope name, I don't put Portland High School on my resume. I put Portland Arts and Technology High School, which is, that's fine by me. <laughs> yeah. I wish more people did that because the one you I'm don't always of. see paths. So yeah, yeah. But anyway, so. So we're here to talk ghost hunts? Yes, we are. So I was really intrigued when you, you you had mentioned it in passing through one of our online communications that you did a ghost hunt at Portland High School, uh, and then you were, you were shut down. And I, I'd love to just unpack that because this is going to be released at the end of October. It's perfect timing. Yep. Where did this idea of the new media class doing a ghost hunt come from? Well, in... I want to say 2007, maybe. Um, two young ladies in my morning class came to me and wanted to do a ghost hunt. Um, and I'd been talking about opportunities for, for students to come up with ideas, and I would help them. And, we'd, and if it was outside of school, I went and you know I went and did stuff with them and helped them. And they did. Uh, what is it? it was a little small hole in the wall theater. They're still there in South Portland, I believe. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but we went in there and did a ghost hunt. And it was we had some. We had some response, not a lot. We had some orbs, and we heard some voices, and something I think got knocked over. Um, but overall, it was a fairly benign experience, but it was fun. And more to the point, the, they put together a show from it, and they learned the intricacies of what it takes to put a show together. You know, what does a show open? What are the bumpers? To, how do you build a commercial break? All of those important things, along with the importance of how do I do the job well and do it the way it needs to be done? What do I need for equipment? All of that. So <clears throat> we did that. The next year we didn't do anything, and I got thinking about it. I wanted to do it on a, um, on a larger f- way. And so I contacted Portland High School, and they said, you want to do a ghost hunt? And I said, yeah. So they said, yeah. So we did two in 2010-11. We did the first one. In 2012 or 13, we did the second one. And in both of those, we got... You know, we got some really soft, like, whispers, EVPs. Um, and I think we got a... Oops, sorry, I should set that off. Um, we got some orbs, um, you know, stuff like that. Nothing 
nothing too major. Oh, the one of them we did, we, we uh, get the uh, Maine Paranormal Society on the, the second to the last one that came with us, and we brought flashlights, at, you know, mag lights at their suggestion. And so we went to the library at Portland High where a lot of paranormal stuff happens. They hear voices, things get moved around, stuff like that. And uh, <laughs> we put them up side by side, and we put two specifically to do yes and no. And so the first one, um, there was a person like a chaperone from the main paranormal with a young lady who was asking the questions and she asked a question and one of the lights came on when the light came on I was like oh shit and everybody started laughing and I went I said that out loud didn't I and everybody went yep I said oh but it responded and then um, there was a little bit of whispering because they asked a couple more questions lights would come on yes or no uh, but nothing too, too much nothing to really jump out at you and then the paranormal person whispered into the questioner's ears and she turned out she goes you know there's some people in the room that that don't believe this is happening because of you and now i'd looked under the table i'd walked around the table i'm going okay this i want to make sure i know that this isn't baloney i couldn't find any reason why these lights were coming on and then she so she asked that question and she says they don't believe she didn't get the word you out she'd get the no one they don't really believe and both lights came on full bore I mean, really bright. And I was like, oh, wow. So that was kind of fascinating. Um, and, you know, we, we did a quick little show out of that. And then in 2014, I believe it was, um, we went April, we went back, and we had an absolutely bizarre, and I don't know any other way to describe it, almost horrifying experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I had 30 students. I had... Um, four or five chaperones, two of whom were professional broadcasters that came from my background as well, who were helping me from a technical, point, technical and a producing point of view. We set up in the auditorium. We set up in the library. <clears throat> but before we even got to that point, when we walked into the school, um, we were like, whoa, it smelled like sulfur. And we had a uh, custodian who had volunteered. He was a great guy to work with us, and he'd been wonderful. And when I said to him, I said, boy, what the hell is that smell? And he just looked and goes, what smell? I'm like, and the kids around me were looking at him and then looking at me, and we're like flabbergasted. And he goes, I don't, I don't smell anything. And then he turned around and walked off, and I went, okay. So one of, the, one of my Portland High kids took half the kids on a tour, and as they all, they went down into the music room, because that was one of the places we were going to do. And when they came up, half of them had to bolt out of the building because they were getting ready to be violently ill. They were all sick to their stomachs, and we still never figured out what that was. And some of those didn't want to come in, but they finally came back in. So we set up. It took us about four hours to set everything up, and we started the ghost hunt at 11 o'clock. And right out of the gate, stuff started happening. Um, my daughter, who came along, she was about 12 at the time, swore up and down. She saw something, and she was kind of panicking. I was, I was thinking, like, it's okay. It's like a, a group thing of hallucinations like they're seeing stuff and it's a group participation thing but then somebody else saw it totally separate and I'm like wait a minute what is happening um so and things were like weird stuff I get into the light I get into the elevator I was one of the few people had a key to use the elevator to bring stuff up and down students had to use the stairs but I could use the elevator so I get into the elevator the elevator would only take me to the second floor we were working on the first floor and the third floor it would never take me there. It would always take me to the second and would not go anywhere else. I was like, son of a gun. So I gave up on the elevator. But about, I want to say about 12.30, quarter of one, I got a call. It's just being, get down to the cafeteria now. Because the cafeteria, we had pizza delivered and my parents overseeing the kids. 
And I get down there and go, what's the matter? And they said, you got to see this. So I go off into the corner where this kid named Gabe was sitting. And Gabe was one of those kids, he's like a puppy. He's just bouncing off the walls, always full of energy, hyperactive all the time. He used to drive me bananas in a good way. <laughs> he had his head down on the table and could barely move. I mean, he was so lethargic. And I said, you all right? He had a hard time just picking his head up. He goes, I don't feel good. I was like, uh-oh. So one of the kids says, show him your back. So I went, yeah, what's going on? So he couldn't even stand up. Two kids had to help him get up out of the booth. And he turns around, he pulls up his shirt, and there's three really bright scars, like marks, like heavy-duty raised scratches on his back. Um, And I was like, what the hell? And he goes, yeah, I don't know what it is, and it really hurts, but I don't feel good. And I'm like, okay. So that was about 15 or 20 minutes after that happened. As I'm sitting there with him, I hear down the other end of the cafeteria, Dave, come over here, you got to come see this. So I walk over, and there's one of the people, Maureen, from um, you know, was one of my friends from Channel Eight. Actually, she wasn't there at the time, but she'd worked. We'd worked together there. She goes, "You got to see this." And a young lady who'd been standing up in the in the same place that Gabe had been when he got scratched, um, about five feet away, and she got scratched. And there were it looked like two hands, four vertical scratches on each side, going right down her side, right around belt high, down her like the back over to her, just above her buttocks, and it was not quite as bright as the three going across Gabe's back when I'm like, oh my God. And then at that point, kids had been seeing stuff. I hadn't seen anything, but just didn't feel right. It just didn't feel good. So I said, uh, let's step on the hall. So Maureen and I stepped on the hall, looked at each other, and it's almost like one of those jinx things, you know. We just looked at each other and said, pull the plug, and we both nodded, and we were out. We, we had... It was so bad that at midnight, almost like Cinderella on the dot, one of our kids said, I can't do this anymore. My mom's here. I'm going. Took off. And she was gone. And then about after this happened, I don't think it took us four hours to set up. We were done and out of that building in 30 minutes. I've never seen kids work so hard so fast, but every last one of, the, one of us wanted out of that building. So at the end, here's a, just a side story. As we're leaving, I made all the kids, based on what I'd read and seen, I thought, well, we'll just do this to be safe. I grabbed all the kids all together in a group, and we walked in the door to the auditorium and got up to the front of the stage, and I said, each and every one of you, I want you to put your hand up and say, you do not have permission to follow me. You are to stay here. And so I didn't stay for the last five kids because I had one of my students who was a producer, one of the lead producers there, and I trusted her, so I get through with the other ones. I'm walking out, and I'm getting everybody and all the equipment out. And I found out after the fact that she said, you don't scare me, and ran her mouth. So later on, as we get everything done, taken care of, she lived outside of the city. I won't say where because I don't want to give away, but um, it, was about a, it was a little bit of a drive. So my daughter and I drove her out. She told me that next time I saw her, well, that was on a, I think it was on like a Friday night, so I saw her Monday morning in class. She said, the weirdest thing happened. When I got home, my cat, who I'd raised from a kitten, came out of my bedroom, which is right off the kitchen. She lives on a ranch. Came out. And you know how cats will lean against the edge of a cabinet on the floor, just kind of scratch their back, walking in. So they said that she was doing that thing. And then all of a sudden, she looked over and saw me. And when she saw her, she went up on all four legs, let out a god-awful screech. Her hair stood straight up. And she bolted into the bedroom, went into the corner of the bed, and wouldn't come out till daylight. And, I'm like, oh. and then for the next three years, until that kid moved out of state, she couldn't buy good luck. 
everything that, and I just remember reading this stuff going, oh my God. And I didn't know it. That, for initially, I didn't know about her taunting. Because the one thing I promised all parents, and I was not about it, we don't ta- taunt. We are here to debunk. We're not here to prove. We're here to debunk. And if anything's left over, then we can say, well, this kind of proves. But we are here to debunk, and we don't taunt. And that kid couldn't buy good luck for three years until she moved out of state. And then things started getting better for her. But it wasn't until she cleared the state. I mean, actually, New England, to be honest. And it was just amazing. And there were so many weird little things that happened like that. It was quite a, quite a night. Yeah, well, there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Like, for example, you, there's, there's kind of validated this whole hitchhiker theory where, like, when I interviewed Colm Kelleher, who ran investigations over at Skinwalker Ranch, yeah, uh, he was. We, we talked a little bit about how the paranormal seems to have a hitchhiker element, where um, if you're not careful, or if you show, in this case, a lack of respect for what you're dealing with, it sticks with you. <coughs> it's, you can, and, and you it, pay a price. I'm of that. I'm. I mean, I, I do believe in the. Then there's parents. There's something there. I don't know what it is, and I don't pretend to understand it, but I do believe in it, and I do believe you can antagonize it. I, I well, I've seen it, so I'm, I know they can. You can. Well, one of the things that they're realizing from the studies over at the ranch is that the paranormal seems to behave a lot like a contagion, and this is where the whole smell of sulfur thing comes in. Because when I when he initially told me the story. I got the impression that everybody who had been ghost hunting smelled it, but the one staffer at the school who wasn't involved didn't smell it. Yeah. That's correct? Yes. And I do wonder if that's another part of sort of this idea that people who experience the paranormal are are experiencing it because of this sort of way it kind of spreads just the ability to experience it and because yeah. you guys were immersed in this for so long before you were obviously open to it yeah well here the thing was i didn't i had i w- i did not expect this in any way shape or form i figured it'd be another fairly benign night i mean the, the, t- the one the time before it we actually had a reporter from the press herald come in and go around and was doing you know she was streaming some stuff and put it we had a great article in the paper um we've had tv stations show up and do stories um, this one was relatively quiet in terms of that kind of coverage, although they were of it. I ended up sending some information, but it was just a different night. I mean, the, the other three ghosts since I'd done have been benign, nothing major. But this one just had a different feel from the second we walked in the building. It was like, it was like we hit a night when a portal was open, for lack of a better description of it. You know, that's the way I describe it. It was like it was never, never malevolent until then, and then it just started getting scary. And... I made up my mind, and I did some. I should have done this beforehand, but I hadn't done uh, probably as much research as I had to find out that young minds are more susceptible. And you know, when you think about teens, telling them not to taunt is like. Well, were you, were <clears throat> they? Su- were, did you break off in groups? Yes. And so, were some of them not supervised? No, the groups were also. There was um, a group in the auditorium and a group in the library, and there was always adults with them. And then there was uh, the only they they could walk unsupervised but they were supposed to be in teams mm. of two from the different locations as long as people we, as long as an adult knew where they were going and we had radios and we were pretty careful about that um but yeah they they oh, it was just my, my mind's flooded with all these different memories coming back of things that just were weird that happened that night so um but we we really kept an eye on them as much as we could but it was just 
just weird, you know. Yeah, teens. Yeah, I've heard that teens and poltergeists are pretty much simpatico. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and to <coughs> that sort of. I love the idea, too, that you were going into debunk and you came out with a photograph of three scars down someone's back, which, yeah. as I told you before, is often regarded as an affront to the Holy Trinity. Whether you're religious or not, I'm not religious, but I understand that. And it's horrifying. Yeah. Well, when I saw that, I saw that on Gabe and then when um, the other student came in, um, and, I, and I'm using Gabe's name because I have his permission the other student I haven't talked to, so I'm going to let go. But um, when I saw the second one, both Maureen and I were like, oh, my God, we got to get out of here. This is not safe. And it was just like unlike anything I've ever, you know, my uh, my girlfriend at the time referred to me as a ghost magnet because wherever I go, stuff seems to happen around me. Um, and I've had one or two experiences in my life that were unpleasant where I was like, what the hell? But this one was traumatic enough that I'll never do I might I may consider doing a ghost, ghost hunt with adults again but I'll never do it with students in fact I was toying with the idea doing a doing a hunt for a, um, a hunt for Bigfoot like up Bradbury Mountain State Park supposedly has had some activity in the past just to for the idea of getting out in the woods and getting all the gear and how to set it up and do a show but I, they were like well, we want to do a ghost hunt I said you can want all you want but never going to happen not in here <laughs> I mean the other thing that happened we we had a table set up when people over, can't really see around, but over here we had a table set up with all the equipment on it. Myself and three other students were responsible for the technical elements. We charged the batteries that day. We made sure we had plenty of stuff. We got there, the batteries would die, then come back up again. Mm -hmm. But the weirdest thing is I had two high 8-millimeter cameras, right? They were working fine, and they had great night shot. I mean, you, you could almost go to zero light, and it would be, there'd be enough illumination and reflected light or whatever that you could see... I keep hitting the mic, sorry. It's cool. But I keep, um, I'm a, I have to talk with my hands. Mm -hmm. But you could see the outline, you could see stuff. It was pretty good. Um, and recorded a whole bunch of stuff. And we were never able to play it back. The tapes themselves were ruined. I mean, and the kids didn't do anything wrong. I mean, it, it, there's nothing out of the ordinary. The cameras never worked again. The tape transport mechanisms would just take the tapes and tear them up. We never, I ended up. Um, using them as part of another project of how not to treat a camera. I let the kids destroy them in new and novel ways to show how not to treat them because they were basically nothing I could use anymore. And there was no, Eric, there was no logical reason for those things to die. They just never worked again. Um, and it was, we had some good stuff. And the other thing is I had a um, uh, security setup with eight cameras that went into a mainline computer, it was a first time using it, and I hadn't read the book all the way. And we caught some stuff on that, but we shut the unit down to bring it home. We didn't realize that we had to dump all the footage first, so then when we shut it off, we lost all the footage. Yeah, I didn't read all the book, so this day I'm kicking myself. But um, it was, it was like, one, of the, the one thing that happened earlier in the evening, um, I was in the library, and um, one of my producers was videotaping me doing an introduction. Hi, we're here at Portland High School. My name's Dave Bean, da 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 And with no further ado, I'm going to toss this to so-and-so who's going to be one of your hosts for the evening. And so in the meantime, I can see out the narrow doors, and there were three or four kids around the main setup where the computer and the monitor was for all the cameras. And all of a sudden, all the kids just lean in, and you could hear the chatter go up. And so she said, cut, we're done. And I said, great, what the heck's going on out there? And she said, I don't know. We went out. And the kids in the hall were like, did you see him? Did you see him? And I'm going, see who? What are you talking about? There was an old guy standing behind you. 
And I said, there was nobody in there with me. And they said, oh, yes, there was. And there were a couple people I would have put it to, like, okay, kind of excitement and all that. But there were two students who were very level-headed and grounded who were going, I don't know what to tell you, but whatever it was, it was there. So I looked at the producer who was looking behind me, because suppose it was behind me. She never saw it. And that's one of the things we would have had, but we shut it off before we dumped it, live and learn. But So, I mean, some of it I can't prove. I can just tell you through anecdotal stuff, but I don't doubt it because of this just... There were too many people who saw it and too many level-headed students who saw it and just went, we can't explain it, but it was there. Yeah, well, my, my contention is, like, on this show especially, like, one, I have no reason not to believe anyone, like, for anything. And also, I've experienced some weird shit myself, my, members of my family have, and a lot of this is in line with just, I mean, there's a constant with all the stories that I've heard. Yeah. So, yeah. And you're, I consider you a very reliable person. So, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, I try not to give in to, you know, overstatement to hyperbole on these things. But I, I watched, I, after that night, I said, I spent a lot of time thinking about this and just cannot reconcile some of it. There's no reason for this to happen. I can't debunk it. Yeah. And, and some of it, like, you know, that's, you know, that computer situation with the security cameras, I don't have the evidence to debunk it, but I know what I saw. You know, and I do have those scratches, although I was accused of those being fake, but I'm like, I was there. And unfortunately, you know, having high school kids on the camera, when Gabe got scratched, he was standing there, and you can, I've got I, somewhere tucked way back in the vault, I have um, footage of the camera the kid was holding and, and so shot at Gabe going oh something hurts and he starts to turn he pulls up and the kid goes like this with the camera off of Gabe because he was like oh my god camera goes down like this and you can hear him going what the hell is that but you're looking at the back of the auditorium like oh god <laughs> so but you know oh and there was one other thing that happened in the auditorium and this is with another producer from channel 6 who took the night off to help us one of my young ladies was in the middle of the seats in the auditorium and had a flashlight on the stage and was talking to an entity and was getting a response with a flashlight. And she was hearing a child's voice, and somebody else heard it. It didn't show up on anything we recorded, but it was a little, it was a little kid's voice, which is supposedly not necessarily a good thing. Um, and she was standing there, and I'm trying to remember exactly how it goes, but she was getting some responses, you know, are yes, are you an entity? The flight comes on for yes, and the affirmative. And then she, the voice went deeper and then started going deeper, and she started just didn't feel right, and then she started going, oh, my back. And the voice in a deep voice said, we don't want you, get out. And she said, I don't want to be here anymore. And she goes, oh, my back. And so this other person, who was named Maureen as well, went down and put her hand in the back. She said, mind if I put my hand on, my back and she, on your back? And she goes, no, go ahead. She puts it up high. And she goes, no, that's not it. Go lower. She puts it down low. There's no, she goes, in the middle. And she went like that, and her hand came right off. She goes, oh, my God. That is so, I don't know. It was like, it was burning her. She goes, I've got to get out of here. And then she started feeling sick, so she put her arm around another student, and they started getting her up. And where the auditorium crosses into the main building, there's like, you know, the, the metal rug divider, you know, that holds down the rug there. She stepped over it. Her first leg went over it. And all of a sudden, her legs just stopped working. Bam, down in a, just in a pile. And it took two other people, along with the two that were there, to help get her up and get her through there. Once she got out of the auditorium, her back cooled off and she started feeling better. Um, 
again, there was there's we didn't get anything on Kimler could use because everything we tried to play back got eaten. It was the I don't know I I don't know Eric. It's just I hadn't really thought about it. all the stuff is flooding back, and I forgot just how much weird stuff happened that night. And um, I don't know it was just bizarre. And I do know that uh, I did get a call. We got some coverage on, you know, we're all over YouTube, not YouTube, um, Google. If you Googled us, it came up and some of the stuff that happened. So somehow the paranormal taps, the guys from the Sci-Fi Channel, were going to come up. I, I had started the process, and then all of a sudden Portland High School decided, no, we don't want the notoriety. Zip. And I don't think to this day you can do a ghost hunt anymore in Portland schools. And the one place where you got results... Yeah, and again, though, we did a couple of others. It was just that one night, so I don't know if we just hit the right night. I, I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. All I know is... How many were done before this one? How many ghost hunts? Yeah. total of th- three or four. Okay. I, I, it's at least three. And this was it might the have last been a fourth one. one. This was, yeah, this was the last one, 2014, and I said, that's it. I'm done. Yeah, it, see, it seems like... It, it's very constant with what I hear where they were getting sick of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. seems like because one, I, I don't think we're alone, I, and I don't know what it is. I don't look at lo- at anything through a religious lens. I just, I feel like it wouldn't make sense that we would be alone. And so many stories I hear are they they reflect this in, in a certain way. Those who show respect tend to be okay. Yeah. Those who show <clears throat> indifference or a great deal of disrespect don't turn out okay. No, and and that's why my my rule of thumb was always we don't taunt. But like anything you do when you have you know there's there was four chaperoning adults plus another parent or two handling the food and you know making sure it was all set in the in the uh, cafeteria. But you got I had thirty two kids that night, and even breaking them down to different places, you can't be with them all the time. Yeah, and you have to trust them to do the right thing. And in ninety nine percent of the time they did, the kids were great. But the ones who did the taunting, and there are only one or two, paid a price for it. You know, I just, you know, and, you know, I'm going to take a step back. This is something I don't think I ever told you this one, but my wife passed away in January of 2013. And it was a Tuesday night. She went into a coma the week before, I think on Wednesday. Saturday night, um, I'd taken my younger kids home. My daughter was there with my wife's sister her niece and her mother, there were four of them. Three of them were playing Uno at a table. We were at a hospice in Scarborough at Gosnell House, and it was, it was a great place. And so they were, my daughter was sitting by the bed reading a book. Teresa had been in a coma for a couple of days. And all of a sudden, as Katie is reading, she hears this voice, Hi! And she looks over, and Teresa sat up perfectly lucid. And then I called this Teresa's gift. She looked at everybody and she said, hey, guys, how you doing? And she said, it's beautiful here. You aren't going to believe it. It's absolutely beautiful. And my wife had a really hard death. I'm not, not going to go into details, but it was a year-long horrible process. But she set up and she said, it's beautiful here. And now I know why I had to go through it. You know, and she said, and it's okay. And you guys are going to have your own journey. And when you get here, it's beautiful. It's just Unbelievable, And I, she said one or two other things, but those are the things that stuck. And then she looked kind of off into a corner, and her father, who she was very, very close to, had passed away in 2001. She looked up and she goes, Daddy? And then she leaned back, went to sleep, never woke up again, and passed away on Tuesday night. But I call that Teresa's gift. I never, ever doubted 
that we're, we're on a journey. This is not the end. This isn't the destination. Yeah. We're on a journey. And whatever happens when this life ends, there's something else beyond. So. Yeah, that, that validates a lot of what I've heard with near-death experiences where um, people will see a glimpse of something better yeah. come back. And, you know, what's interesting, though, is because I'm obsessed with NDEs, and, and that comes from a selfish standpoint. <laughs> what do you mean by NDEs? Near-death experiences. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Uh, the constant with that is people always say they come back with this understanding that Remember in the beginning, I was like, I don't know if I said it on the podcast or in our pre-conversation, but I've always thought, what the hell is the point of all this? Yes. Yep. It makes no sense to me. <clears throat> with people who experience near-death experiences, they always come back with the understanding that, oh, it's just about interacting with people. That's all we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed yep. to be interacting with, with all people who are different, people who think differently, and figuring out how to work with one another. And trying to be the best. I sorry, Again, trying That's to be okay. the best person we can be yeah you know um for me and i don't say this for accolades it just is a statement i mean i could have stayed in broadcast television i was offered an opportunity to to move up in um in the minute the company that owned gannett that owned uh um how my brain's just cramping candlesticks yeah gannett um um i could have gone anywhere in the country denver washington atlanta uh out to minnesota uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, a bunch of Chicago, really, yeah. and made a lot of money. But I didn't want to yank my kids out of Maine. And everywhere I'd been in broadcast, I ended up training and teaching everybody when the new stuff came in because I had that, plus I had that childlike love of learning new stuff. That's never gone away. And the patience to teach it to people. And so I ended up training everybody. When we had interns, it was my job to oversee them. And it didn't matter where I was, it always kind of migrated to me. Um, so I knew when this job opened up that this is what I wanted to do, and I've never looked back. You know, I, I'm doing the right thing, and, and I'm where I'm supposed to be. And part of that is my sense that I'm supposed to be doing the right thing and being the best person I can be. And and then hearing Teresa's thing back in 2013 when that happened, I've just held, that's my, whenever I start doubting, I just go, Teresa's gift. And I start feeling better about things. Like you. I look at the news today and go, what in the hell are we doing and what is going on? But well, you know, one of the things that I'm always an advocate for is um, what, whatever it is you want to do with your life, take a positive approach with it. And I talked about this a little bit earlier this week at the screening of my old film is when I came to, when I went to New York, my intent was to do what one of the classmate we were talking about initially yep. did go into working on a professional film set, go into the industry. But I immediately realized that that's not, that wasn't powerful enough of a direction. And so I never really tried to get into a union or just tried to work in the industry. I tried to find a, a way to use media to, I didn't, I didn't realize this at the time, but to teach and yeah, to make a my, difference my best film reviews the, f the reviewers always call me a teacher because yeah. my content is really philosophical about the art life about giving people direction because I realized like when I got to New York that there are so many people who did what I did they moved to New York and they didn't make it 
and they're living in quiet desperation. I can't be like this old fuck right here who's living in quiet desperation, yeah. pissed off at everybody, because yeah. that's not a good life, and he's not leading a good example. And so one of the things I did was I just built all of, all of my stories around advocating for this ever-evolving philosophy of, one, being a lifelong learner, yeah. being open-minded, and just trying to push people to not give in to a level of comfort that will keep them disenchanted for them because comfort is a drug yeah it really is it's ironic that we're talking about this now i just separated from my girlfriend of eight years um because we were going in different directions and there's no good guy there's no bad guy there's just us yeah you know and it it got comfortable and there were some other things and to let go of that and move on was probably one of the hardest things I've done because I had such a good living situation. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't going where I needed it to go. And just that, that sense of, I'm like you, I've told my kids, the day I stop learning, you might as well plant me. Yeah. Put me down because I don't want to be around. If I can't learn, why am I here? And if I can't learn to take that and turn around and try to help somebody else learn it, what's the point? You know? And one of the thing, one of the things I see is one of my impo- most important jobs as kids, especially coming off out of the pandemic, pandemic the last couple of years, is helping to coach kids to prep them to be tough enough without a, without a, you know being like a, a jerk about it. Helping them to develop life skills, to learn how to keep learning, how to adapt, how to be flexible, and how not to give in and give up. You know, don't like it? Change direction. Be flexible. Um, and I think that's what I see what you've done is I would agree with the reviewers. You know, you are a teacher as much a teacher, if not more than me, you know, and for me, that's a, that's a great thing to be able to say. So, you know, I'm wanting that you wanted to come back. I was honored and kind of nervous because I was like, I don't think they'll get mad if I talk about Portland high, but what the heck? Um, because at first Portland wasn't that thrilled about the, the notoriety of it. You haven't said anything negative about Portland though. I'm allowed to because I went to school there, but I'm not going to because out of respect for you. But uh, no, I thought that, you know, you were just stating the facts. Well, that's just it. And that is what happened. Um, And and it's not anything about the staff. It's not anything about the facility. It's just a weird thing that happened that night at Portland High School. But it was enough that they decided to just clamp down on it and say no more. Um, So did you have to report to someone there what what was going on? No, no, just we're going to do a project here. We ended up not having enough footage when we got back. I mean, so much, so much. I don't even know where to start, Eric. I've told you some of it, but, you know, you've probably heard somebody say this before, but virtually everything technically that could go wrong went wrong. It was just amazing. And 90% of it could not be attributed and I tried hard I could not attribute it to student problems student accidents you know whatever error it wasn't it was like because they would say I don't know what happened they'd hand it to me and I'd look at it and go I don't know what's going on it should be working but it didn't we got back they, they would take we had many DV tapes they'd take those tapes out and I watched them they'd put them in a player there'd be nothing on it just we might see little things through it but it was mostly snow and you could tell you could hear it and you go ah stop pop it out tape it be twisted up it was just like then the high eight tapes and the in the in the cameras never used them again. Bizarre, bizarre stuff. So, you know, what was the lesson that came out of that? I don't know. 
but I, the lesson for me was no more ghost hunts. I just, yeah. I, I can't in good conscience. And somebody said, well, you know, and I had students come back. They wanted to do another one. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. But they, and they were saying, well, like, let's get a medium and we'll get, you know, um, a shaman to bless us and come with us and bless a place and everything. And I went, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not in good, I can't in good conscience as a teacher put you guys at risk. And I believe that's what I would be doing. So I'm not going to do it. But it's tempting, you know. So maybe someday down the road with a group of, you know, graduated students who are a little bit older in their 20s and have the the ability to defend themselves and the common sense not to taunt, <laughs> then maybe I'll give it a whirl. But until then. Yeah, if you do it again, <clears throat> give me advance notice. I'd love to. I will. I will. I, and I do. I, get, I, I literally hear back every single year from going, you going to do one? You going to do one? I'm like, not yet. Not yet. Portland High School. I never thought about doing it at a high school, though, because it makes sense. That's an old place. It's the oldest, I think, since, I don't know if it was Boston Latin, Boston, Latin or Boston, whatever, English, one of them, were, were fought over, they had a battle going back and forth over what was the longest continually operating school still in, in the U.S. And Portland High was second until they closed that one to Boston down, and I think it is the oldest continually operating high school in the country. So and there's a lot of <coughs> a librarian died in the library at one point. Really? I yeah, or died in the school. I know that. And then supposedly it was a firefighter that passed away there. Um, this is a side story. There is this happened the very first ghost hunt we did there, and this one was weird. We interviewed the guy who was a historian, an old guy, who told me, and we brought him in here and interviewed him. And then all the kids left, and the bell rang. They took off, and we were talking after the fact. And he told me the story about people had seen. A, an apparition, if you will, of a teenage boy in what they thought was a Boy Scout outfit walking the third floor. Okay, he had left and gone to World War One. This is back in the 19, in the teens, nineteen seventeen eighteen. He'd been an Eagle Scout, went over to France, fought with the American Expeditionary Force, and was killed over there in the battle, one of the battles, I don't know, the Battle of the uh, Argonne or whatever. But he never made it back home, and. <clears throat> You know, there were all kinds of stories about it, but he said people have seen, have assumed it was him, have seen a kid in a Boy Scouts, what looked like, or it could have been, and it could have been a Doughboy outfit with the hat and everything, it could have been one of those two. So, fast forward, just me and him, I never said a word to anybody. So, the night of that first ghost hunt, I'm walking through a kid named Sam, and I'm I'm walking down one wing, he's walking down another wing, and I walk because it's a, it's like a cross so I walked and took a few steps down and I said I'm coming around looking around the corner and I'm like what's up and I said the floor's clear we're gonna head down he goes well yeah but I saw somebody I didn't know who it was I went really who was it and he goes well I don't know but it was like it looked like it was it was kind of well it's kind of weird I said lay it on me <laughs> and he said it's it was like a boy scout but it was kind of an outfit I, I haven't I don't I don't know what it was but it was like a like a point like a scout hat and like an old guy I don't know what to tell you it looked like an old guy but he walked around the corner and I, that's why I just came flying around now and he was gone I said well I didn't see anybody he goes you didn't and I went nope and he goes oh he must I said he must have gone if he was here he must have gone down another set of stairs so we're gonna get downstairs I never said another word after till afterwards we got in class and I told everybody about it, like just so you know this is what I think you might have seen. Did we get it on camera? No, but anecdotally, I thought it was kind of interesting because the kid with his eyes were wide open. Was I don't know what I saw, but it was like, and he he saw something. There was not a doubt in my mind, but it was yeah. kind of interesting that he described the same thing that the historian described to me. And there was no there was no bleed over. I never talked to anybody about it. 
at all. And this kid was from Yarmouth. So he didn't have any chance to talk to anybody at Portland High School. Yeah. That's crazy. That's mm. really spooky, too. Like, because if it's this guy that died overseas <clears throat> in a war and he kind of came back here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I Must have had good experiences here yeah, or something. Though, well, and you know something? <laughs> Every school has its high and low points. Um, with, with there are exceptions to the rule, but as a rule, most schools balance out on the positive. I think because there's a lot of good people trying to do a lot of good work to help our kids. Overall, I have no doubt of that. Um, so there are people who had absolutely marvelous experiences at Portland High School, and and back then, in the turn of the century, who knows what Portland High School like nineteen, you know, thirteen through nineteen, whatever, seventeen when the kid graduated, whatever. Um. But if it was something that was enough a part of his life, and back then high school was a big deal, you know, much, I think, bigger than it is even now. So maybe that's what drew his spirit back. Yeah. Who knows? This is pure conjecture. But I always had this theory that, like, when people see ghosts that look like somebody from the past, that maybe it's not like a spirit entity, but like maybe they're looking through a rent in the fabric of time. Ah. You know, and. It's just a theory because sometimes when, like most of the time when I hear stories like that, there's never an interaction. It's like the ghost is going about their business. Yep. That's why I have that theory. Whereas with things like scratches and the smelling of sulfur, yep. that, does, that doesn't seem like it's the same thing. No, I, I, I would wholeheartedly concur on that one. I agree completely because that was, like I said, most of the stuff was benign till that one night. And there's no logical explanation for it. I, I, if there is damned if I know what it is you know um but I'll tell you it shook me it really shook me and for a long time it was it was bad enough that I was still recovering from losing my wife but that happened I'm like oh my god what the hell so it's you know I just swore up and down I was in for ghost hunts but so you're so the final what date was the or what year was the final hunt 20 it would have been April of 2014. Okay, so your wife died in 2013. Yeah. So that might have opened you up even more. Could be, because we did a, <coughs> we, b- before we did the ghost hunt, earlier in the year 2014, one of my students wrote a, um, uh, a killer in the dark kind of thing. And so we had the lights going out, and we shot with those high eight cameras. This is how I knew they shot beautiful stuff, because this place was almost blacked out, and you could still see, you know, the black and white image of me moving around. And the kids were editing the footage because I was walking around. There were, like, you know, kids had been killed in the dark. The light would go out, and people would die. We'd turn the lights back on. And, oh, my God, look at the bodies type of thing. Well, at one point, I'm walking around the pylon that's over behind you, and the camera's over here shooting me. And the kids are editing, and somebody goes, oh, my God. You know, bean, bean, come here, come here, come here. And I look, and there's two orbs fly right out of my chest. They didn't fly in from the back. We never saw them. They just shot out of my chest. And I'm going, ah, oh, that's, that's not, that's just dust. <laughs> I think it's dust, but it was it was really weird. So I don't know. That is so spooky. <clears throat> when I was a, well, I grew up in a house. It's kind of where I grew up in a house in Stoneham um, that my mother's family grew up in. My mother's family had five kids: boy, girl, boy, girl, girl. Eight years from oldest to youngest. My mother moved in. My family had five kids: boy, girl, boy, girl, girl. Eight years from oldest to youngest. So there was a lot of correlation. And I'd had my great-grandmother passed away in my sister's room upstairs. We had stuff happening all the time in the house. Um, we had po- portraits of each of my, my siblings and I done when we were five years old by the same artist in Rockport, Mass. 
and they would change places in the wall intermittently every once in a while you'd walk in and go wait a minute I was up there how did I get there and no one ever touched them and I thought well maybe that's somebody's messing with us but there was one year I was probably a sophomore in high school and I'd just gotten a job because uh, I grew up working in our family bakery and the bakery closed for the first two weeks in August over so those two weeks I was still working at my other job because I worked both and so my family took off for a vacation I was the only one in the house and <clears throat> during that two weeks my sister had an antique Spanish dressing doll about probably about a foot and a half tall that would turn by itself you'd walk in one day and it'd be flipping 180 and I thought you know it could be vibrations from trucks going to the depot down the street but I put it on a mat to absorb the vibrations you know I did everything I could with short of taping it down and it would keep changing positions while everybody was gone the pictures moved twice in the two weeks so I just I just said well whatever it is I just never left my I went to my bedroom living room kitchen out the door and that was it except for the bathroom but it was one year um, working in the family bakery at Thanksgiving and Christmas we would go three or four days and never we'd just go to the bakery and stay there and my father would say okay you got two hours flower room and I climb up in the flower bags and fall asleep for two hours and we got about two hours out every 24 to sleep that's how much work we did so Christmas morning my family got up to go to you know the early morning early mass 6 a.m. mass and they came in to wake me up and one of my siblings came in and I was like what 16 years old and I believe my words were something in fact to come in this room again and I will kill you so they left my mother came in at quarter of six and said come on we're gonna go to mass I said go ahead have a good time I'm not going to church this morning I'm asleep. So everybody leaves. I'm the only one in the house. And my room was on the first floor, just outside the hallway by the front door. And there's some, oh, this is an old Victorian. So if you ran up the steps, you knew where people, you could tell where they were on the steps just from the creaking. Somebody ran up the steps. Now, I don't know how many times it happened before I finally was like, what the heck? And I heard somebody go up the stairs. And I'm like, hmm. And then I hear him come down. And I went, who's there? They stopped. About, and about halfway down, I went, no one's there. So I start putting my head down, boom, 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 they come down. And I went, oh, crap. So a friend of mine had made a handmade billy club because I'd chased some prowlers off the porch once or twice. So I reach under the mattress, pull out the billy club, get the covers ready. Sure enough, they start up. I bolted out of the bed, got to the door, looked at the stairs. It couldn't have been more than halfway up, and bam, no one there. Happened a couple times, and finally I just said, I don't know who you are. I'm putting my magic covers over my head. I'm going back to sleep. I did never thought about it again, but I told my mother. And my great-grandmother was a devout Catholic, and she was an immigrant from Ireland. She had 11 children, and it said she never, she didn't really love her husband. She did it for the faith, you know. Yeah. And um, did you my, just put on an Irish accent? Oh, yeah, I did, <laughs> just a wee bit of one. Um, but she said, "Hey, that's Grammy Barnes. She's she's not quite happy that she didn't go to mass today." And I was like, <laughs> it "Makes perfect sense." But stuff like that all the time. So anyway, so you shine. Well. We've had moments. Yeah. yeah. We've had moments. I was reading this book about um, the, the, these pseudo-academics. Um, their research wasn't really great, but they had some interesting ideas because they were trying to put together old fairy lore with contemporary UFO stories and other paranormal. And there, the, there's a constant that runs through all these genres of the paranormal, and that's that there are people who they call shine bright and and it's this idea that certain people certain consciousness um can be seen by whoever it is that's out there and so that's 
who they're attracted to. Um, and so, so kind of like the concept of why mediums see what they see or whom they see. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because um, one of the the examples they give is there's this some some rural town in the UK, which is really known to have a lot of people. Oh, hang on. What happened? Motion activated lights are on. Oh, the timer. I was kidding, like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> with, with all the episodes, the stories <clears throat> here, but there are people that like would historically go missing in this town and never be seen again, and there's nowhere for them to go. And there would be orbs, there would be craft, dating all the way back to before e- anybody knew what a craft was. Yep. And the rule of thumb in this town was don't shine too brightly. Really? Yeah. Those exact words. That is Crazy. interesting. Yeah. That's really fascinating. You know, you, you well, first off, these motion activated lights, here's a side story too. <laughs> we had those we had them in about twenty ten, I think. We've had them for about ten years now, so um the lights off in the far corner here are on a separate switch and on a separate motion indicator over in the corner. So the only way they get set off is somebody over there has to physically move. I cannot tell you how many times in the last few years. Now, we've had three people from PAS who are employees here on top of my wife, who was in here a fair amount with me, passed away in the last, like, eight years or ten years since my wife passed. Um, and I was good friends with, really good friends with two of them. And... I'm, I will be sitting at my desk in the opposite corner and working away, and I've been at it for an hour or two, and no one comes in. It's just me, and those lights go out. And on more than one occasion, I've gone, oh, God, there was something I was supposed to do, or not even just something I was just working. I wouldn't be thinking about anything in particular. The light comes on all by itself. And I'm like, it used to spook me, but now I'm like, okay, Teresa, I forgot something. What was it? It'll, it'll come to me, <laughs> you know. And for a while, a good friend of mine was a custodian who just, who died in the building he just dropped dead one of the nicest people in the world his salt of the earth and it happened a couple times right after he died and I was like and I just I don't I can't explain it and I'm probably full of baloney I get it but I just sensed that it wasn't trees it was something different I was sure it was Dick I was like okay you little booger I know what you're up to you're trying to mess with me you know and and nothing would happen but it's it's like at least half a dozen times probably a couple times a year I'll be in this room by myself. Won't be anybody in here for an hour or two. Bam. Those lights come on by themselves. So, And they're motion activated. Something trips them. So, you know, they got those game cameras out and they can pick up orbs and, you know, they have motion activated stuff. So, I don't know. Oof. It's interesting. Yeah. Spooky. Well, yeah. It is what it is. But it's, I think the paranormal, there's so much more to it. And, and it's becoming... All the research is crossing over, and there's so many ways all of it's linked. There's the paranormal, there's, um, you know, the demonic stuff, for lack of a better, there's UFOs, and, you know, mul- the multiverse, and you start looking yeah. at all this and going, how is this all connected? But yeah. there's so much there that we can't explain. You just go, hmm, you know? Yeah, there's, uh, this is something I've been exploring a lot in my writing, because I am interested in this idea that we're not seeing or experiencing reality proper. For sure, yeah. There's, I think, there's a whole iceberg under where we're living and how we're where we're functioning. And yeah. Have you? Here's another one. Have you heard of the Mandela effect? I, I just have. heard about this. Can I can I talk to you about that for a sec? Go ahead. Uh, because 
I was coming back. I was driving back here, back to Maine from New York on Sunday, and I might get emotional because this really fucked me up this week. Um, That's all right. For some people, as I've gotten older, I've gotten. I drop. I cry at the drop of a hat. I've stopped apologizing for it. So don't worry about it. It's all good here. There's this girl I went to high school with. I went to middle school with. I went to elementary school with. Her name was Darlene Jones. Um, for the past 20 years, I was sure as shit that she had two kids, was happily married, and living uh, on the island. <clears throat> I found out Monday that in 2015 she died of cancer and was living in Westbrook and was childless. I remember seeing her with her kids on MySpace and later Facebook. Wow. See, I've... My kids and I've... My son, like, is... You know, I'm gonna, I'll, I gotta explain a little bit, so it's gonna be, I'll make this quick. Yeah, yeah, In no, the year please. before my wife passed, I never knew how... My wife was, was... I knew she was smart. She was a registered nurse. She would, you know, doctors would consult on her because she was that smart about seeing things, and she had this great experience. But the year before she died, she started really... She'd been religious, more so than me. But she started looking for the meaning of life through... Um, you know, she started studying physics, string theory. She was looking for the, uh, trying to understand the concept of looking for the God, God particle, all of that stuff. Um, and she would start talking to me, and I, I'm not stupid. I'm, I'm fairly intelligent, but she lost me. And I knew she knew what she was talking about. And I'm like, oh, my God. And so when I started talking, when I started, I was talking to my, my kids, Zach and Katie, about it. And part of that conversation came up. We started talking about the Mandela effect which came about because of the experiments of the CERN super collider. Well, all the fun stuff they're doing there, they're not really knowing too much about what the hell they're really doing. Um, and we both, all three of us kind of started talking, and Zach has been like his mother. He's way smarter than I ever gave him credit for. And he, he was digging deeper and started explaining to me, and Katie and I were like going, wow. And then all of us were like, well, you know, there was stuff like that that happened with you that... And I can't give you a specific right now because, of course, it's, I'll reach that point in my life where I'm old enough and when my brain needs something, it, it <laughs> shuts down on me. But there were things that have happened in the last year or two where I've gone, wait a minute, that's, that's not how I remember it. And this started with, it's, it, um, it, Zach said it's something to do with like a, it's like a Fruit Loops thing, um, the Fruit Loops effect, because the, like there's a box of the Fruit Loops package changed. It used to have something on it and then it changed to something else. And people would say, wait a minute, that's, that's new. And Kellogg's was like, that's not new. We've had that for years. But not just a couple. Thousands of people were going, no, it, that's not what it was. It was this. So, And they, that's why they call it the Fruit Loops effect or something along those lines. And it was like really, really bizarre. So I'm not, I would not be surprised. And I would certainly say that's a credible thing. What, yeah, what, you, what happened to you? I feel like... I mean, I don't know if what it is. Like, maybe it is memory, and maybe I'm just—I've been out of touch so long. I don't know, but I just feel like it's happened enough times to me and people I know, where I'm just like, it feels almost like we're being shuffled through different realities, and slowly it just keeps changing more and more and more and more until we start stop recognizing things that we were sure as shit. This yep. this was the way it was. Now it's it was never that way. Like it's like an alternate reality. Yeah, it's a new alternate to what we knew before. It's yeah, it's really really strange. And you know, I 
I was reading an article about how, you know, sci-fi often points the way to where we're going. And I was reading, um, I wish I could think of the name, but it was something, something Cowboys, but it was about multiverses and how we were able to jump between multi-different universes and the changes we saw and how you could how they change things and how dangerous it was, all that. But that was a few years back I read that, and now I'm looking at reading things out of CERN. or There was another place in Texas where they were trying to shoot like a neutron through an impenetrable neutron impenetrable background but the way they were doing it hard enough fast enough it's whatever that if it got through which they thought it might it would prove that there were multiple dimensions multiple universes and it's like oh my god real world science is following this like I mean just the concept of like quantum tunneling yeah to me points in that direction too because and we're recording digital video right now we can't be doing that without the concept of quantum tunneling where you're literally creating like almost like a, a microscopic wormhole so that one piece of information can get to another yep. another side through an, impen- an otherwise impenetrable wall and you can only get through that wall in the disk drive uh, I'm calling it disk drive you know how old I am yeah. uh, in the SD <laughs> yeah. card it does that technology doesn't exist without quantum tunneling and it's just like but what is it going through yeah. it's not going through the wall you know yeah. and it's uh, do you ever read about the double slit experiment where this is where this idea of simulation theory is rooted where everything exists for us you let's say you have two slits and a wall yeah and you send like a molecule or whatever through it if you're observing which one it goes through it'll always go through the same one if you take away the measuring device it'll go through both simultaneously and a pattern will emerge on the back wall showing you that it went through all of them so but the act of observing which one it goes through changes the behavior so it's almost like it's behaving for you the way you expect Whoa, it. that's weird. That's so spooky. And it's yeah. been tested again and again and again. There's a great Wikipedia article about it. It's called the Double Slit Experiment. Oh, I want to read that and one. And it will blow your mind. Yeah. Well, there's so much happening in terms of quantum physics and particle theories. And still, you know, last I heard, they're still looking for the God particle. You know, supposedly they, somebody said they thought they found it, but I don't believe they did. And there's still... It's all happening around us. And then you have the Mandela effect where you're looking and going, wait a minute, that's not what I remember. Yeah. Is it my memory or did something else happen? And that's start to, starts to shake your, your foundation of who you are going, wait a minute, wait, well, what's going on here? So I do wonder like what would happen if they actually found it because there was this psychic who was like, he was validated as a legit one, not one of those, those fake ones. And they, they, at one point, some ma- major university, and this is all hearsay, I have no, no links to this, but some major university had like funded research of this guy's brain. He's like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And in the labs where they were researching him, little mic- micro-flying saucers would appear and just fly around the room and then disappear. Whoa. As they got deeper into <clears throat> understanding sort of how his neurons fired and all yeah. that. There, it's almost like when you hear these stories about people meditate hard enough, flying saucers appear. And there was a story I'd heard in relation to this one where somebody went to meditate with, I guess in Tibet or someplace like that with some shaman who was just like, supposed Something to be like, the Dalai, Dalai really Lama. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
supposed to be like really good at just getting people in that zone and they go into the zone and these flying saucers appear and they're like oh my god do you see that and he didn't open his eyes he goes just ignore them they're gatekeepers and they want to distract you from getting there that was his answer so by exploring this this other guy's brain and having these appear, they were distracting the, supposedly they were dra- distracting the scientists and the academics. You know, you, I remember reading when I was a kid, and I've never forgot this, that we only use 10% of our brain. Yeah. You know, and I've always maintained that if we ever can jump that up even to 20%, think of what we could do and what is our brain capable of. And it seems like we're starting to see what we can do as we expand it. You know, and this kind of an offshoot with not too much more to do with the paranormal than what we're talking about here. But did you ever hear about the experiment? And I want to say it was John Hopkins, but it was some major um, university chain that did medical stuff. Did a study <clears throat> where they got people who were terminally ill, and in the last days they would bring them in to these specialty rooms to where their beds, everything was on a scale and married, measured right down to you know, the milliliter or however they measured it, but to the ounce. And when all of these people died across the board, and I don't know how many there were, but there was enough so that they could substantiate the study evidently, they accounted for everything in every single patient except four ounces. They never could figure out. And it's been hypothesized by people... You know the, the academics and the medical doctors who you know I'm, you got I got to see it to believe it. I don't know what they ended up saying about it, but people who were there who were part of it hypothesized that that is the soul. That is who we are. I mean, because we're energy at our core, we are energy. This is just a mechanism to get us around, but who we are and everything we are, our lived and learned experience, our energy within us, and it carries to the next life. That's why they say the soul weighs four ounces. That's the rumor. I'll have to go back. I read that a <laughs> long time ago. I remember reading it going, well, isn't that interesting? Yeah. You know, it kind of makes you go, hmm, that combined with, and I'll just keep, you know, I've always, since it happened, I called it Teresa's gift. You know, from what I she told me. I love that I think I've, that's the highlight of this episode. I never, yeah, it, it, it was, it's been the highlight of my life. Um, getting... I mean, she was my soulmate. And it's, it, I didn't start coming out of that fog until about two or three years ago. I was not was having a hard time but looking back you know my life with her was a gift and that was the, one of the last gifts she gave me or us you know although I wasn't too gracious about it because like I said she died a hard death and when my daughter I felt kind of bad but when my daughter said to me she goes you're not going to believe this dad and she told me that story and part of it was I now know why I had to go through with this and I bit my tongue the first time but the second time she told the story I said I wish you'd ask why, because I'd like to know, you know, because I, I was still struggling. I was mad at God or whatever God in the universe is, you know, all that. Um, but once my anger settled and I got past it and thought about the, the core of what she said, I was like, this really is a gift. Because from that day forward, I never once, I don't, I don't care about dying. Death doesn't phase me. How I die, I mean, I'd rather not die painfully. But I have no doubt that we are, this is a journey. There's no destination here. We just live, learn, and grow. Live, learn, love, and grow, I hope, is what we should be doing. But Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, I say, I talk a lot about what is all this. It feels, to me, more like an education program of some kind. Yeah. It's just too perfect and just how administrated it seems to be. 
reality seems to be, you know. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I look back on reincarnation, which we were always, I mean, I was raised Roman Catholic, and reincarnation was not an option, you know. Yeah. But as I've grown and learned to open my mind and, and learn and live and love everything you read and, and try not to judge, reincarnation to me seems like fairly logical. We go from one life to the next, so then there's a stopover in between, and who knows what happens there. But my guess is we learn from the experience and then we move on. My kids have said, you know, and that's one thing Teresa said is before we come into this life, we choose who we're going to be with and we travel through our lives with other beings, whatever they are. So in a previous life, my son and I might have been um, two good friends doing something altogether different. I mean, and I actually, you know, um, all right, don't laugh about this, but I'm, I'm a World War II nut, right? And I really focus... Um, my love, I love the history of it. I, I could probably teach a program on it, especially what happened in, on, in the Eastern, in the Japanese theater, the Pacific Theater of War. And my, my son and I, my daughter talked about it, and they're like convinced that, you know, I may have been, they said to me once, they said, well, you probably fought there. You probably killed in there, because I was born 10 years after the war, ended 11 years. But then I got thinking about it, I said, I wonder with my energy what, am I always male or could I have been female you know and, and I started asking those questions and it just gets me thinking more about what is our energy what does it mean and how do we travel on so and well, I tell that as an aside only because it's like something that hit me and I was like hmm you know I have many theories so I'm going to tell you a few stories is that okay that's fine okay, with so, me yeah let me see what time um, yeah we're good do you have a heart out um yeah, say eleven forty-five. Only because uh, I, I got a I, I got a ton of work to do too. Okay, so. cool. That's fine. <clears throat> um, well, let's say noontime. So my sister is obsessed with this psychic in New Hampshire, and she a few years back when we were still talking to our parents, she convinced to, my mom to go because my mom has precognitive dreams. Really, and uh, mostly focus on me. Um, I actually appeared on Jim Harold's Campfire podcast and talked about it. If you want to listen to it. Um, that was actually this month, so that's pretty cool. But um, she she goes with my mom. She's like, you're not going to believe this woman. She And the reason she took my mom is because when she went the first time, the psychic told my sister, "Is you changed your middle name to Lillian or something like that. She's like, yeah. And it's named after your grandmother. She's like, yeah. And how did you know that? And she, the psychic goes, well, Lillian took a piece of her soul and attached it to you when you were born so that she could go on experiencing what you experienced in your life since she will never have gotten to know you. Wow. That was on my dad's side. Both of our grandparents on our dad's side were dead long before we were born. And That's mind-boggling. I'm going to build on to that. Okay, so my, my mom comes to the second one. And the moment, <coughs> and moment my mom walks in, psychic just looks at her. She's like, "Your idea of God is wrong." And I'm like, "I heard Melissa say this to me," and I'm like, "Yeah, Uh-oh. I always thought it was wrong too," because she has a very um, authoritarian view yep. of it. You know what version of that I'm yeah. t- talking about? And so. Yes. She left. She hated it. <laughs> she doesn't like being told stuff like that. No. And uh, later on, I read somewhere that there's actually a sect of Christianity 
Uh, and I'm not religious, I just, but I am interested in what people believe and why. There's a sect of Christianity who is sure that the way things work is that souls are shattered into microscopic like sections and sent out to alternate realities to experience all outcomes and then brought back together so that a person understands oh, wow. how I guess how cause and effect work in terms of how you treat people how you're treated and all that um, and so that's an interesting theory because it it alludes a little bit to what people experience when they talk about reincarnation or when they talk yeah. about having a connection to something or someone that they otherwise wouldn't have a connection to that's boy that's a whole different thought pattern it's like <laughs> that that's really kind of amazing to say it's the least something to think about. Crap. yeah it's when there's so many things we're learning so many different directions at science and and philosophy all kinds of things are all initially they look like they're all different directions but as we grow, as we learn more, and as we develop, we start finding that it's not the case at all. They're all intermingled, yeah. and they're all interconnected, and how do they affect us? And that's the start of stuff you just go, whew, you know. And that's part of, like, wondering, has my energy always been male? I don't know. And now thinking about that, you know, am I, is there a part of me in other places? And when all of this ends, like, we are going to come back together and go, well, let's put the pieces back together and see what happened. Yeah. That's kind of... Yeah. It's going to be interesting for sure. Wow. Absolutely. Mr. Bean, thank you for coming on the podcast and inviting me back. Yeah, it's been fun to have you uh, back. I, lo I love seeing this place. I miss it. Um, I think about it every day. Well, I'm glad I made that impression on you because it's good yeah. to see you. Yeah. I, um, yeah, it's just good to see you. I remember when you first moved to Manhattan and you sent back and you had got the job and you controlled the buy was a term you used which is something I talked about in class and I said oh my god these guys listen that was so cool you <laughs> Wait, what, what was it you would taken on a job with a pizza company or something one of the oh, first the things commercial. you did yeah. Yeah. yeah and you said you know and I talked about how back then it's not not that way it's a different world than it was back then but I had talked to you guys um, in your class about how you want to if you can get it into the point where you're advising your client on where to go how to advertise and you control the buy, you can make more money out of the whole thing. And that's a really important concept to keep in mind. And I remember the day I can still see you sent me a, a text and um, I forget how you told me, but you, we communicated and, and it, it must have been an email, but you said, I listened. I remember what you said, control the buy. And I was like, <laughs> yes. So it was, very, it was a very rewarding moment for me. You know. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, and Well, you know what? Let's not wait so long to get together. Yeah. Do this more well, often. I want to do more stuff up here anyway, and yeah. I've already told Brandon that. Yeah. And uh, well, let me know because now that I'm on my own a little bit, I'm much more available to do stuff, and I'd love to. I may be right. an old fart, but I got a lot of life left in me. So, all right, I'm going to take you up on it. Good. I hope all you right. do. Thank Thanks, you. Dave. Thank you. And that was my conversation with my former high school teacher and video technology instructor, Mr. Bean, from Portland Arts and Technology High School in Portland, Maine. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I enjoyed having this conversation. I really enjoyed reconnecting with one of my former mentors, and he's still a mentor today. And uh, Mr. Bean, David, if you manage to listen to this podcast all the way through, and I know some of my guests don't like listening to themselves talk, but if you manage to listen to this thing all the way through, I just want you to know that I really enjoyed reconnecting with you and hope we can stay in touch uh, as we continue on whatever adventures we're on and 
Uh, honestly, like, let's do this again. This was a fun episode. It was a fun time. And I'm happy to drive back up to Maine to keep doing these types of things. Thanks. And I'll see everybody on the next episode. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you have a moment, please consider subscribing to the show wherever you listen. And if the app allows for it, please leave a rating and review. That way, the algorithm moves us up in recommendations. It's a great way for new listeners to find our show. Thanks, and I'll see you on the next episode.